guys. You may be seated. Welcome to Genesis Community Church. Um, my name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and we are continuing along in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. We are going through passages that if you are familiar with church life, you probably have heard before. And if you're unfamiliar with church life, good chance you've heard before. Maybe you didn't know that you've heard it, but maybe somebody had quoted it or recited it or said it to you. And so what we get to do is hear it, but the cool thing about going through it like this is we kind of get to hear it in context. Like what is, what is happening as we're going through? What has Jesus said? What, uh, what is he about to say? And so we get to do this. And I was thinking about even my own pastoral ministry with folks, and, and some of you are like this too, and some of you are decidedly not like this. Uh, and God loves both of us. But a common question that I'll ask anyone is like, hey, like, what's the goal? Anybody just kind of want to know why they're doing something before they get into it? Anybody? Like, they're just like, I'd like to know where this is headed. I'd like to know, yeah, Eli's afraid to be like, ah, I, I saw your finger up, bro. Like, we're good. Um, and so we, we go, well, and some of you are like, I don't care what the goal is. I'll just go to whatever I need to do. Like, end, end game doesn't matter. It'll all kind of work itself out as it happens. I have a very difficult time with that. I like to know why things are happening. I like to know why they exist. Why is a pretty important question to me, maybe one of the most important questions that I uh, try to ask when I go about my day or when we're in a conversation, <clears throat> or, you know, what do you want out of this? I'll even ask that. Hey, you know, before we get started, I remember, like, what, what could I offer to you that this would be a beneficial meeting? Like, I'll, I, I maybe even said that to you sometimes. Like, like what, what are you looking for in getting together so I can do my best to provide it, or else, like, we're just living in unmet expectations? Uh, I, am, I am not a free spirit, as is, 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 uh, nice as, as much as you might believe that about me, and I appreciate the impression. Um, <clears throat> you know, I want to do nothing but, you know, if not dispel the myths that might exist about me in the folklore of Genesis. Um, I absolutely hate being unaware of what we're trying to do. Hate it. Um, but it's funny when I think about maybe our Christian life is I think most people, if not many people, many Christians go through their Christian life really having no idea what they're supposed to be doing with it. They, they don't have any kind of end game in mind. It's like, okay, well, I get saved. This is many people's story, right? I come to faith at a young age, and I say many people in like our circle. I come to faith at a young age, or I'm raised in the church, and I have a good experience with that. And maybe you have a little rebellious terror because everybody seems to. And so you have this moment where you like, yeah, then you had to own it and you have the rededication moment. But like you go, I really loved high school. I had great friends in high school. Brad was talking about just connecting with his high school class even this week. I really, or, or maybe you had a great college experience. Like, man, I just, I grew like a weed in college. Uh, and you're like, if you're, everything was just great. Like there's so much growth and so much time. I'm like, that's because full time, full time was taking 15 hours of work. Like, and that's why you had it. That's why you could get it done. And so I'm a big fan of college. I'm a big fan of college ministry. I want people to pursue it. I love campus ministry. It, is, it really can be one of the most formative times in people's lives. And anybody who got, got kind of sucked up by a campus crusade or any church's college ministry knows how impactful it can be. But then what seems to happen is from about the time you're 21 to 25, you're looking for a spouse. That's always what happens next, it seems. It's like the conveyor belt of life. And whenever that happens, you just kind of now exist and lean on whatever prior experiences you've had. And so you just kind of live off of all of that growth that happened maybe from like 15 to 25. 
and you, and you, and you kind of bring that everywhere. You, you bring that into all your conversations. You're like, oh, well, when I was back when I worked here, uh, and you'll even find it. How many times do you reference like your previous ministry experience or your previous church experience when talking about your current one? Like, well, back here, I remember it being like this, or this really helped me then, or this was really impactful then. Uh, and so, but what we do is we just kind of get into some part of, part of life, and for, I'm not kidding you, for decades, we just kind of exist. We exist in our marriages, we exist in our families, we exist with our jobs, and I'm, I'm not joking when I say many people are still, even if they claim Christ, are absolutely aimless, directionless, purposeless, and they have very little confidence that what they're doing has any value. Now, I'm a purpose guy, and I'm a what's the point guy. And the great thing is this, the scriptures are too. The scriptures do not leave you unconcerned, confused, or wondering about what a good day is, or what a good week is, or what a good life is. They don't leave you confused. You can't read Jesus' words as we're here in the upper room discourse and not, and not have some level, if you come to it humbly, have some level of confidence about even what to do when you're not sure what to do. Like they'll even let you know how to do that. Like, you're not sure what to do? Here's how you wait. And it won't be like the, you know, uh, basic instructions before leaving earth, like if you know that song, or how people like to acronymize, acronymize the Bible, like they kind of make it a cool thing. Uh, it's not like you kind of go to it and you go, oh, well, what's the exploded diagram for Isaiah? Or what's the, like, that's not how it works. But if you read it, you get a telling of what life is to be lived like with God. You see it and you go, this is what people who follow God enjoy. This is uh, where people who follow God uh, go. This is the perspective, even if it's not an action, this is the perspective that people who belong to Jesus should have. And yet we still wonder where to focus. Or we look at our Bibles and we go, how am I going to know all of that? How am I going to know all of that? Like, I, I, like, like as if the end game is just Bible knowledge. Now, I want you to grow in your knowledge of the Bible, but the end game is not just Bible knowledge. The end game is really knowledge of Christ and living like Christ. That's what we're going for here. And so only in as much as we understand this and can comprehend it in a way that moves us toward Christ-likeness are we actually being effective in our comprehension. But we go, man, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. You know, our D groups are memorizing passages, and we're all, I, I joked a couple weeks ago how we all mainly stink at it, uh, unless you're like one of three or four really special people that God has endowed with like steel trap brains. Um, and we're still trying, and I'm fumbling through Isaiah 53. I think, was it 9, Jason? Is that what we were in? Isaiah 19, 14, 29. What was it? 10? I was close. You know? Little did he know that, like, I had the verse, like, on my computer here. Behind, like, like the teacher hiding the book. I just hide a screen behind a screen now. And I'm like, okay, so, and then this, and then, okay, and I say it again. Um, so we just go, how am I going to know all this? How am I going to know all this? Because we feel as if... There's something we don't have, and we don't know how to get at it. But the great thing is, Jesus makes it clear. He makes it clear what he's called us into. He makes it clear what we're supposed to be doing. And he gives us, as we talked about even recently, the empowerment to be able to do it. So if we're not clear on something, I will say it like this. It is of no fault of God's. Right? If we're unsure of something, it is of no fault of God's. 
Uh, we love to play the blame game, though. If we feel inadequate or unprepared or inept, we go, well, if you would have done this, or if I had been told this, or if I had known that, and there are no secrets with God. We're going to get into that today, and we see him talk about how friends work. This is what friendship's like. So our passage, John 15, 12 through 17, which you have heard a faith share, read, uh, read for us. What we get to see in this passage is really the answer to this question. How does Jesus, Jesus, how does Jesus help us uh, understand what abiding looks like? We can't forget last week where he talked about abiding. And, and even prior to that, that, that you need to, we need to obey his commands. We need to obey his commands. A, a pretty honest question would be, which ones? And, and, and how do I, do I list them? Do they exist somewhere in some list codified for me? Do I, do I do a Greek word search for imperatives in the New Testament or a Septuagint church, uh, search in the, uh, in the, just forgot what it's called, the Septuagint, yeah, uh, for like all Greek imperatives there? Do I, do I need to find the Hebrew imperatives or the Aramaic imperatives in Daniel? Like how do I actually get to understand the commands of Jesus? How do I do that? And... If we're not careful, what we end up with is a long list of things to do and not do. And as long as we do a lot of them, we feel like we're being faithful. But that misses the whole point of abiding, doesn't it? Which is what we saw in John 15. So because we're dummies, and it's okay, like this is Dummies Anonymous, like we're all dummies here. Because we're all dumb when it comes to walking with God, Jesus just condenses it for us. He's like, I've talked to you about abiding, asking anything in my name. So I'm going to go ahead and just give you what it means to obey my commands. That's what he does here. That's what we'll see. We're going to see three. I'm going to give you three words. Love, friendship, and mission. There they are. Love, friendship, and mission. That's it. Uh, the, three, the three words that we're going to get as we look at these verses, John 15, 12 through 17. If you have a paper Bible, great. You can look at it right there. If you have an electronic Bible, great. You can look at it there. If you just want to hear it, that's great too. However you want to engage, I'm in. So the first thing that we see is this idea of a, the greatest kind of love. The first thing that Jesus is going to say, the greatest kind of love. Um, and he's going to describe it as laying down life for friends. That's in verses 12 and 13. So in case you were confused about the commands, Jesus says in verse 12, which he's already said, John 13, he says the same thing, 34 and 35. This is my commandment that you, what's the word? What is it? Love, thank you very much. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Now, you might be going, like many people do, well, hold on, isn't dying for your enemies more important, or isn't doing that more important, or isn't it really important to, to, to serve in a certain way, or to care for people without concern for reciprocation, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? So why is Jesus talking about laying down life for friends? Why is that greater love? That's when you have to look at the whole of Jesus' teaching, and just being loving is kind of where it's at. Uh, it really is towards insiders, and it really is towards outsiders. That love is to be demonstrated in every way. If you were in our reading plan, uh, then you read, uh, you read about, for example, the lost parables, Luke chapter 15. We're going to be getting into, right, the, the parable of the lost son. You hear that, and we, we understand. Uh, Jesus talks about the good Samaritan, doesn't he? And how it's the one who went after the Samaritan, the outsider, went after the one who was in need. And so this isn't to say that we don't love enemies. It's just to say that he is there in that moment amongst his disciples, and he's giving them a way in which his command should be expressed. Greater love is none than this, and laying down your life for friends. So here's what, it hap here's what happens. 
He both gives the command and he gives the example. The command is his, love one another. And then it continues, as I have loved you, which fills in the gaps on well, what does it mean to love as Jesus has loved? That's what we really have to consider. What does it mean to love as Jesus has loved? Because the world will give you counterfeit love all the time. Or it will give you some demonstration of love that isn't the complete picture. And so first, it is a love that reflects that we understand Jesus' commands. It's love as I have loved you. That is the qualifier for the way to fulfill the command. Which he's just said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And now he's saying, and my command, and he gets singular. He summarizes it, which Jesus is apt to do. He likes to summarize things for us, so we get it. My command is that you would love. So let's just go through a way that is, let's build a picture of this type of love, if we, if we can, okay? Uh, and let's try and bring it down into things that you know, we have experienced or maybe we've even heard about, or things I've experienced because I uh, have, have been able, by God's grace, to just, people, people can be really loving sometimes. They can also be jerks, but we're not talking about that part. A love that is sacrificial is really a love, as we've already seen, that is giving up of self for the sake of others. Giving up of identity for the sake of others. Giving up of status for the sake of others. This is John 13, as demonstrated, where he washes the feet of his disciples. And we talked about taking the lowest place. I believe that sermon title was called Disciples Stoop, right? That we stoop, that we, that we bend down and serve others, that we care, that we would wash feet. And whatever iteration that would mean for how do we sacrificially, and out of status, out of place, serve people in a way that demonstrates Jesus' servant-hearted to the end, exhaustive kind of love shown toward us. And so here's a, a silly example. So I, for whatever reason, and I always say the next time I, I move, I'm not going to renovate, but I, a renovation follows me. And we've lived twice, we've had two houses in Baton Rouge and one house here in Spring, and each time I take on a gigantic project, like a fool. And so my first house in Baton Rouge was, uh, we decided to reside it. It had, yeah, it essentially had compressed cardboard as its side, which was pretty popular in the 80s. Uh, so you just put enough paint on that thing and you hope the water doesn't get in. Uh, but we live in Louisiana and that's not going to happen. So you're seriously, we're taking off this compressed cardboard, all it is, and there's just studs. That's it. Like you're, you're in the attic and somebody tears that off and you're like, oh, hello, good to see you. So we recited the whole house. I have friends who are smart. I have a friend called Safety Jason, and Jason would wear a yellow vest because he's like, hey, when you're working outside, you got to have a vest uh, so people recognize that you're doing stuff. I'm like, no one's going to hit you. Like, we're working on my house, man. Let's watch you fall from the uh, ladder, if that's the case, uh, which will make it easier to find you if we're looking, if you're for whatever reason siding at night. But I had like a bunch of friends just show up forever and like do this. But most specifically, it was renovation number two, where again, I bit off more than I could chew and decided to remove a wall. You ever done that one? I didn't do it. People helped me with that. But I had this buddy, Colin. And Colin was an electrician. And I tell you, if you're in this room and you're an electrician, I need your number. Electricians and plumbers, I think they're going to exist in the new heaven and the new earth. Like, they're just such, a, such an important career. And Colin would work most of the day. He'd work until about 3 o'clock. Right, so six to three, somewhere in that range, six in the morning till about three in the afternoon. He was doing a big project at a hospital not far from my house. And then so often he would just leave work 
and he'd drive to this house we were renovating, and he would spend hours with me, sometimes in the dark, sometimes in the attic, sometimes covered with insulation, did not ask me to pay him a dime. He just wanted to spend time with me and wanted to help me out in a way that he could. Like, there were times where I was like, hey, I don't know the breaker to that thing. And he's like, that's not a problem. Watch, we'll just short it. He takes his pliers. He's like, he's like, go find the breaker that's stripped. That's the one it is. (laughs) Okay, you seem to know what you're doing. We're all still alive. That's great. Colin was a guy, I'm, I, in my current house, I don't care that much, but like, I like my outlets to be the right color. I want my outlet covers and the outlets themselves to be the right color. I'm stupid about it. And so we were going to sell the house because I had to come here eventually, right? And so we're getting it ready to sell, and we just turn off all the power. And like, this is years, three years later. Colin comes over, and he, like, I just bought a box of outlets because we had some you know, off-white, some white, and you just hate it. It's kind of like how that one looks right there, actually. Johnny, I don't know how you live with that. Um, And we just sat, and we sat, and we would just stay in bedrooms, and we would undo outlets and rewire it, turn the power off of the whole house, and just knock them all out, every single one that needed to be done. And what's interesting is I was actually talking to him about the fact that I was probably going to leave and find a new job, and he's a church member at my current church, and he's just giving me that kind of advice. He would give me hours upon hours upon hours of his time with no desire to be recognized for it. I mean, I think this is the first time I've ever talked about it, Uh, and that was seven or eight years ago, but just drive over after work, exhausted, beat down, and just spend hours in my attic. It was hot, because I like to renovate in the summer. So we're just in my attic, rewiring. I, we put 18, 18 recessed lights in that, in that whatever we're going to call it, and uh, that was a lot. One story, so you had attic access, but man, it was not easy work. And he would just give it and give it and give it and give it and give it. it. Never ended. Never once complained. Never once talked about how I wish he wasn't there. Never once felt like, never once had me feel as if I was even a bother. Even a bother. Why? Because he was being both loving and sacrificial and giving up himself and using what was at his disposal for the sake of others. And he did it with great joy. With great joy. I mean, I was talking to him about this current house. He's like, dude, I need to take a day off and come to, like, come to your house in spring. We can knock some stuff out. I'm like, well, you know, not a bad idea. <laughs> this is seriously what he'll say. I should, just, I should just take time off of work, and I haven't seen this guy in four years, but I should just come over, and we'll just do some stuff there. I'd love to do another project with you. I'm like, man. And I'm sure all of you have stories like that. You have times where people have just taken time. If you, if, you, if you don't, right, I hope you bend that for somebody. I really do. If, this is a, if, this, if, if it's a love like Jesus loves, it's just present and sacrificial and giving of what is there. Like, just keep going and keep going. And it never ended. And I never was like, hey, are we good tonight? He's like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. Sometimes he'd say, I have to coordinate. I'll be there after this or I'll be there at this time. But he just would show up, get back to work, and work a second shift in my house with me. It was awesome. It was awesome. Sacrificial. I would say this as well. A love that is, this is we're still on the greatest love. A love that is exhausting. Because he says, laying down your life for your friends. Laying down your life for your friends. Uh, this is a story of people that I'm aware of. that I haven't talked to them in years and years and years. But they actually are staff over at uh, Dallas Seminary, Dallas campus. And one professor said to another friend, a co-worker, that his kidney was functioning at 14%. You know where this has gone? Kidney's functioning at 14%. And um, had been there. He'd worked uh, 32 years prior. His sister gave him a kidney 
after he had kidney failure. So 32 years later, kidneys are failing again. And so the guy he's talking to is like, I'll give you one of mine. Like, not, like I'll just give you one of my kidneys. And he's like, well, it's harder than that. You know, it, you, you can't just give it to me. We have to have the right blood type. It has, you know, and he's like, I have that blood type. Why don't you just take my kidney? And I just say, like, like he's like, okay. And they, I don't know what, I don't know, like, I don't know if you get lawyers when it comes to body parts and putting them in other people. Like, I don't know how that works. But they just kind of thought for a moment, huh, this might actually work. Like, exhaustive. Now, now can we do for others what Jesus did for us? Absolutely not. Uh, but should we exhaust ourselves for the sake of others? I think absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus wasn't like, hey, man, I know you need me, but, like, lights out is 8 p.m. And so... We're done. We're done. And so exhaustive. I just think of that and go, what in the world? What in the world? Yeah, take my kidney. No bigs. I'll just work without one. That's fine. If it, keeps you, if it keeps you alive longer or it makes me alive less long, I don't really care. Just take it. Like that's, that's, that's the kind of just demonstration of like, yes, you can have it. It's not just my money. It's not just my house. You can actually have my kidney. And so now, I mean, I don't know what that's like. Like do you... Are you always like, hey, you know what? Well, like uh, 1% of you is me, so you got to come with me to go, go do this thing. Like, I don't know how obligated you feel after somebody else's kidneys inside of you. Um, but just a story of God's generous provision of laying down your life, sacrificing yourself, giving of yourself for the sake of others. What is a love that is servant-minded? We see this in Philippians 2, that Jesus made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant. Now, servant language is about to come right back in in this passage. Taking the very nature of a servant, being obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we could be with him in an exalted place. If his name would be exalted, we get to join him in that. He made himself nothing. He demonstrated that to his disciples deliberately, both in his death, but even previously to that, even in foot washing. I'm going to take the place of a servant for you. Love like Jesus is considerate. Considerate. To love like Jesus is considerate. That it is considering the needs, the desires, the heart of another. I think about this so often in marriage because marriage is the thing that reminds us of just how inconsiderate we are. And then kids multiplies that by a factor of however many kids you have. Um, so, you know, it just, it, it's just like an exponent. So if you have four kids, you're selfish to the power of four. It doesn't just add. It, it, it just gets worse. But I think about being considerate in the way that Jesus was considerate toward us. And I, let, me, let me tell you what I mean. Jesus spoke life. He was a life bringer. He was a life giver. And he would speak to people. Now, did he have harsh words for religious leadership? He had harsh words. But for his disciples, even when he would rebuke them, he was kind. And I think about that in like uh, our marriage or our family or our church life and so often being considerate gets way down on the bottom of the list of things we would rather be uh, speaking and acting with retribution anger or frustration speaking out of places of hurt speaking out of places of just indignance rather than being considerate and this is the funny thing about like the christian life is that we know not being rude and inconsiderate is okay. Like, that's probably the way we should operate. And yet, in our flesh, isn't that often how we still operate? 
Greater love has none than this, no one than this, than somebody would lay down their life for friends, to give fully of yourself. That's the command. What does it mean to abide in Jesus, to remain in his commands, to do what he says? It's going to first be demonstrated through the love that you show. That should be demonstrated to your uh, disciples community. I'll say to your local church in our language, our parlance. And it certainly bounces outside of that because it should only flow from this place and be, it's not like, hey, I'm really kind to my church members and I'm really unkind to other people. Like that's not generally how it will work. That this is actually the place where we are able to demonstrate it fully because we're on the same page or at least should be. But then it, outside, in our relationships outside of the church, we're able to demonstrate this evangelistically. They go, hey, how do you, why do you do it like this? Why do you serve like this? Why do you care like this? Why are you interested like this? Why do you give like this with no concern for what's going to come back at you or what's going to come to you? Why is that your dominant position? You know, it's because of Jesus who did the same thing and is currently doing the same thing. It's not like Jesus just lived for three years. Let's remember this. It's not like this, this person named Jesus just showed up for three years, did some really cool stuff, and then disappeared, and now we're just going to get to learn about it. The second member of the Trinity, the Son, has always existed. The second member of the Trinity, the Son, is ministering today on our behalf. The second member of the Trinity, the Son, with the Father, sent us the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, so that we could live in the way that He would have us to live. We get to talk about that even next week for our Family Sunday, where we're going to talk about aliens. Aliens, that's what we're going to do. That Jesus gives us an alien way, an alien code by which we should be living that looks so different from the way the world operates. In fact, so different that the world hates it. That's the way Jesus talks about it. That the alien way is so different than it is hated. Greatest love, laying down your life for friends. Greatest friendship is 14 and 15. Friendship with Jesus. Now look at this because Jesus doesn't throw the word friend around like we do. Right? If I go check your Facebook list, you're probably going to have a lot of friends. That's not how Jesus has friends. Twitter followers, Facebooks, whatever. That's not his style. So he's not going to use this word casually. He uses this word purposefully to communicate something about the kind of relationship that the disciples get with him. Greater love has none than this than a man lays down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you, which he just commanded, that you would love as he has loved. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So he tells us what he calls us, and he tells us why he calls us that. Greatest command, love. Love is the greatest kind of friendship. Greatest friendship is that friendship with Jesus, though. He links us to him, and if we're linked to him, then we can live it out accordingly. Friendship with Jesus is described as obedience to Jesus. Now, we spoke recently about this, that this is a relational statement. When one is focused on who they are in Christ, what Christ has availed to them, then you are able to obey without hindrance. We use the, the parenting illustration that when my kids are are operating from a place of obedience, it's actually not to control them. It's so that our relationship can happen in a way that is free. It's so our relationship can happen in a way where, where we operate well together because parents hate being disciplinarians. We don't like that, but we will do it. 
We know we need to do it because, as even we see in Scripture, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And parents discipline children because of, out of love. Now, are there broken up parents and bad discipliners? Absolutely are. So we have to speak in kind of as, as it was designed, that as you obey, you are able to actually enjoy a greater relationship with the one that you are obeying in the context of friendship that we see from Jesus. So when I do a wedding, and you know, I usually get like this spot, and then you have groom here, and you have bride there, and we go through the vows. And I always ask the question, like, are you going to do your own vows, or are you going to um, just use mine? Uh, and they usually go, we'll just use yours, unless they're just really spiritual. Then they'll make their own. Um, but in general, they just use the vows that we talk about. And the things that you actually pledge at that moment are pretty serious. They're pretty serious commitments that you make. And when you make those types of commitments, what you are doing is establishing a relationship and establishing the ground rules by which if those ground rules are followed, the relationship can actually operate in the way that it was designed. But if those ground rules are broken, then it causes tension within the relationship that sometimes is very hard to undo. But if you abide by the way you speak to one another in that moment, and you're able to do that in an enduring way, your marriage is better for it. Your marriage is better for it. If you join Genesis, we have a member covenant, which is actually, it, it, it defines less of what we're supposed to do as members. Let, like, me, what I mean is, like, it has a list of ways we pledge ourselves to one another, but it doesn't accomplish everything that is likely listed in Scripture. It accomplishes a lot of it. And if we as Genesis operated in the way that our membership covenant described every single day, every single moment, if that was really a part of how we reminded ourselves to abide and to care and to participate, I tell you, we would, this church would be phenomenal. It's already phenomenal, and it would just be multiplied. When we operate by the way we are, we're interested in caring, when we, because that allows for trust, consideration, engagement, Full expression of love, care, concern. So many of us are going into relationships wondering what the angle is. What are you trying to get out of this? What do you need from me? What do you need from me? What do you want? But when you can operate as if, as if the relationship demands, it's freeing. The reason Jesus has the authority to give the demand for obedience is because he is the one who is supreme He's the one who actually never gives a command or a desire or a statement about how we are to operate that would harm us. Every other authority fails to perfectly explain, to perfectly define the way things should be working. But Jesus does not. And he, we know that because he himself has done it. He's done it toward his disciples. He does it toward us. And so he, he has the way. He is the way in which we are to operate. Now, here's what's really cool, though, as he talks about friendship, is he goes, you're no longer servants who are just kind of here to do a task. You're friends. And he talks about the benefit of friends. But I've called you friends for all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Why would that be friendship? Why would that be friendship? That all he's heard from the Father, he's made known to us. Here's what we get to say. The benefit of friendship is to know God's heart and God's ways. Jesus says, I've taken everything the Father has given me and I've given it to you. Why is that? 
that mark, as he would describe it, of friendship. Because it describes an access that we get to the Lord because of our relationship to Jesus. It's a kind of access, and it's a kind of knowledge, and it's a, we get to know his heart. We don't have to guess his heart. We don't have to know if we're doing okay or not doing okay. There is a difference. There are few examples, few, in Scripture where people are called God's friend. There aren't many. Abraham is one of those. Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has died. Jesus calls his disciples his friends. And he gives them a place of honor. And that place of honor is access and knowledge that others don't have. This isn't like secret knowledge, right? This isn't Gnosticism where it's like, hey, if we open the door here, come on in. We're going to tell you new things. Like, that's not really what it is. I'll give you an example. Courtney and I were recently at a funeral. It was a big funeral. I, like, I, don't, I think I've been to one funeral that was bigger. We were recently there. Uh, pretty sudden death in the family. And so we were not sure how it was going to go. We were coordinating with this family, spending some time over the weekend with them. That was our plan. Hey, we're going to spend some time with you guys. It's going to be great. So we made plans on Saturday. That was our, yeah, it's gonna, we're going to, and then like, we'll come, up, we'll come up on Sunday. On Monday, we'll go to the State Fair of Texas. We've never done that, and why not eat a bunch of fried food with powdered sugar on it? So like, so make plans on Saturday. We were going to, and then like that next Sunday, we were going to come up, and we're going to spend Sunday night with them and, and go to the State Fair. Well, the day after we made plans, a week before we were supposed to travel up, husband dies. So instead of going up to go to the state fair, we go up to go to a funeral. And when there are like 700 people at a funeral, it was huge. Um, when there are that many people at a funeral, you, you just kind of know, hey, we're not going to, we don't want to intrude. We, like, we, we want to say hi, but like, we don't want to do anything weird. You know, or, or take too much of your time. You have 700 people or more here demanding some of your time as, an, as a, new, a new widow and want to tell you that they love you and that they care about you. And there's like, you know, 100 family there. Everyone's there. Everyone's trying to offer support. And Courtney goes up to hug her cousin. And her cousin sees her so glad and goes, we were supposed to be at the fair today. That's what she says. Not thanks for coming, so glad to see you. Like, but like, what happens is like full entrance into the relationship that already existed. And it was said like with a smile, like we were supposed to be, now we're at a funeral. But we were supposed to be at the fair today. That's what friends get. That's what friends get. You get that kind of access to people at those kinds of moments. That remove every level of pretense, remove everything else, and you just go, ah, Rather be at the fair. No, we would too. We would too. And what Jesus is telling us is, I have taken everything that the Father has given me and I've given it to you. You know everything that needs to be known. You can be fully aware of everything that God has put before us. You do not have to be confused about his will or his ways. That's how you know you're my friend. Because if you weren't Friends, if we weren't friends with Jesus, then we would not get that kind of access. We would just do what we're told. Right? Because that's what servants do. We do what we're told. Jesus goes, you have it all. This is like the uh, son that didn't leave in the prodigal son. 
And what does the father say to that son who is to liken to the religious leadership of the day? Everything I had was yours. Everything. You had everything. You had the full relationship. You had full access. You had everything at your disposal. And you're angry that I'm glad about your brother. And I want you to take a moment and realize, I want you to realize what you have in Christ. If you are in him today. You have a friend who died for you. A friend who died for you. You have a friend who has hidden nothing from you. You have a friend who loves you. You have a friend who doesn't leave you. You have a friend who who desires the best for you and has explained to you how it's going to be. And you have a friend who has given you his spirit so that you can live that out. That is what we get. That is what we get. We don't have to spend a day wandering aimlessly, wondering how we're doing. Because every day we wake up, we wake up as the Lord's. We're his. We're his. Now here's the thing, and I say this to people in marriage or in family. I use marriage illustrations a lot. One, because I'm married. Uh, Two, because I like being married. Like, it's just nice to be married. I enjoy it. And so, and most people are, will be, but I think I need to talk about singleness better Um, So we'll just use marriage or an important relationship of any kind. We'll just do it that way, okay? Yeah. When your most important relationships in life are life-giving, it changes how you operate every day. Right? When I know, like, my relationship with my kids is strong, even if I just see you at lunch, I'm different because I know that that's established. And if that relationship is distraught, if it's tense then what do I do? I bring that in. I bring that same thing in. When things are in a good place in the relationships in your life, then it changes how you operate every moment of every day. And when you walk with the Lord, or to use Jesus' words from the beginning of this passage from last week, when you abide in the Lord and his word abides in you, and you are seeking his will and understanding his ways, and you are praying, as he even says, if you ask anything and you will receive it because it comes from that place of relationship, And my kids know how to ask me things so that they get it. Right? They do. Uh, Especially the one I'm looking at right now has a kind of a way. You know? Daddy, can we? Do you think it would be okay if? And even if I say no, I know I'm saying yes later. (laughs) I know how it works. But why? Because it comes from a relationship that I enjoy. Now, do I say no to you guys? Plenty. Yeah, you're like, yes, plenty. But when you are abiding, this all comes in the context of a thriving relationship with God. This is where it all comes from. And we are not walking with the Lord, and we are not enjoying his word, and we're not enjoying his people, and we're not just enjoying the fact that we're his. We walk out of this room or go into any other relationship sideways. Sideways. When I talk to people who are upside down in their finances because they're not right side up with their savior. I'm like, you can't fix this until you fix that. You can't do it. Upside down in their marriage. Uh, and I'll just go, we, you, you have to do this. And this is the hard thing. Because we don't have that long-term view of obedience that we just want instant results, Right? Like, I want to buy Dogecoin, and I want it to go to the moon so I can be a millionaire by investing $1. 
That's what we want. I want to put a dollar's effort in and become a billionaire. That's what I expect because I'm sure somebody did it somewhere. That's what we want. And that's what this world conditions you to believe. But just to get up in the morning and read the word and seek your God and ask him to guide you that day, that is such an underutilized part of what the Christian has. And yet we expect to just have these thriving relationships everywhere. You won't get it. You won't get it if you just sit around hoping that your relationship with Christ is going to happen to you. And yet this is what we do. This is what we do. And it's like every year, after every year, after every year, the belt gets out a little bit because we gain another inch in the waist. And we just go, I'm just a lazy Christian. I just like to overeat. I just like to do this. And, and, and we don't have any, like, you know, like, I know what I should be doing. I'm like, well, then maybe we should do that. But I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up. Like, you know how many mornings in the past probably four or five months I have gotten up and not wanted to pray? I have a little way I pray in the mornings. You know how many times I've gotten up in the past, over the past four to five months, and not wanted to do it? As many as there are days in the past four or five months. As many as there are days. That's not an excuse. Right? Not wanting to do something is a me problem. It's not a God problem. And we can apply a lot of our problems to God that are really just us living in the flesh. And we're like, I want to find a way to invest in my relationship with God that makes me a billionaire. By doing nothing. And just hoping that at that time he's going to guide me. That's just not how it happens. I was talking to a, a church planner this week at Matt Brander Coffee Company. And, um, and he goes, do you think seminary training is important to anything? Now, you're talking to an adjunct seminary professor, so I'm not going to say no. Um, yeah, I think so. I said, I think it's important. But if anything, even, even, if, even if it does not demonstrate giftedness, if it does not demonstrate aptitude, if it does not demonstrate effectiveness pastorally, it demonstrates that you put some work in. That you gave one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, a hundred years of your life to something. And other people saw it and said, good work. It says something. But we're trying to find workarounds to be mature. And there are no workarounds. It is constant attention to the Lord, his word, his people, prayer. Like there's no shortcut to that. But do we really want to put in 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 15 years of that to, until we get to a spot where we are confident in who the Lord is? And we are confident in who we are in him. And we can speak about his word with love of confidence. Do we really want to put that work in? Most people, I find, the desire is yes, but the answer is no. They don't want to do it. And we go, well, if our church had a thing on that, I'd go to it. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. I, you wouldn't. You'd go once, twice, maybe three times, and then you'd just start sleeping in. Because that's what happens. That's what we do. When you are eager about something, you go, where do I go? How do I do this? What can we do? I'll make the time. I'll make the time. Because time doesn't happen to you even though it happens to you. Man, sorry. Okay. You can feel, the, you can feel it coming on and you just sometimes have to take a breath. Right, let me take a breath. Let's look at verses 16 and 17 and see that we, are, we have great love dying for your friends. Great friendship is friendship with Jesus. 
And the great mission is abiding fruit, enduring fruit. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Seems like a purpose statement. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I've commanded you so that you will love one another. Just to bring the whole structure to a close. He begins with love, he ends with love, but right there at the end, Jesus reiterates what his disciples are called into, and he notes that it is something he has done. You didn't pick me, I picked you. I picked you. In no illustration does this become more real naturally than through like adoption or fostering situations. Our families go, we want you to be in our family. We pick you to be in our family. We could have had any child. If you have biological children, the chromosomes picked you. No, I'm kidding. We picked you too. But in that instance where you go, I was not yours and I am yours. I did not belong and now I belong. That's why adoption is such an important theme in the Gospel of John, especially in chapter 1. For all who did believe, who believed according to his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. He goes, I picked you. He said this multiple times in the Gospel of John. I chose you. I chose you. I chose you. Which is a joy to know. Because, I mean, anybody else like me used to getting picked last? I get picked last for everything. Uh, like, you know, partner workouts. I'm like, I'm going to work out by myself and half the reps so that I don't have to work out with somebody else. No joke. Two Saturdays ago, three Saturdays ago, I was working out with Courtney somewhere. We were at a gym doing the class. I got paired up with a man close to 80. She got paired up with a woman in her 70s. And they both beat us. They both beat us. That guy ran faster. He had more muscle endurance. I'm just like, what in the world? He's like, man, thanks for pushing me. I'm like, pushing you? I'm about to die. I am, I am about to die here. And you, I don't know what, what you have been eating or drinking or doing. But I know what he's been doing. He's been doing that for years. And like, my back still hurts. And he's just going after it. Anyways. We get used to getting picked last. Isn't it great to hear the Savior say, I picked you. I picked you. And I didn't pick you because there was no one else to pick. I picked you for a purpose. And that purpose is that you would bear fruit and that your fruit should, there's that word again, abide. Or to use the word remain or stay. That that fruit would last. What is lasting fruit? What is lasting fruit? It is fruit that is born by God's spirit. That results in people's understanding of God to increase their lives to be more reflective of him. The conversion of men, women, and children that they might put their faith in Jesus. That kind of, the unchanging world can't take it away kind of transformation is fruit that lasts. I picked you so that you would bear fruit that lasts. Clearly referencing in evangelism. That more would be a part of this. 
more would be a part of this equation. More would come in, that you would bring this message out. I picked you for that. The work of discipleship, evangelism and discipleship, the training up, the teaching to obey that we read in the Great Commission. The teaching to obey, helping people walk with God, helping people understand how to process. How do I obey Jesus when I'm mad at my spouse? How do I obey Jesus on payday? How do I obey Jesus when I'm just going through the day and I feel rather aimless? What does obedience look like here? That is what Jesus has called his disciples into, to teach to obey all that he has commanded. Fruit that lasts is fruit that is done in accordance with God's spirit, where people can come to know the Lord and grow in Christ-likeness. That is abiding. And the great thing is, Jesus has called us into it, brought us into it, showed us how it is supposed to be done, and then expects it. It doesn't read, I chose you and appointed you that you could, if you wanted to, go and bear fruit but that you should bear fruit. If you're here and you're 14 and you're in Christ, this passage is just as much for you as if you're 44 or 54. The question is, how do I I bear fruit now? How do I endure now? We already have the first answer from last week, abide. Abide. And continue to abide that you might bear fruit that lasts. We have a great, the greatest love. Dying for friends is seen through Jesus. We have the greatest friendship, which is friendship with Jesus, who gives us access to everything. And we have the greatest mission, which is to bear fruit that lasts, not fruit that gets torn down, not fruit that gets burned away, but fruit that lasts. We don't have to be confused about what God has called us into. We don't even have to wonder what God has called us into. We have Jesus telling us what he has placed us into so that we could reflect him more, glorify our Father, and understand more what it means to bear fruit that lasts. Pray with me.